And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And the whole gang is back on this Saturday, April the 7th, correct? No, 6th. 6th. Is it the 6th? Yes, yeah. it is the 6th. I knew it. Well, it didn't take me long to start making mistakes. Um, That's anyway. how I knew it was the 6th. <laughs> <laughs> but, but how did you know whether to go back one or forward huh? one? I just knew. <laughs> anyway, it is the uh, 6th of April on this Saturday edition of the Bat Around. We'll be here at 12 noon, and uh, it's great to have Craig Heist back after a couple weeks absent. No, one week, just one week. Oh, it seemed like two. Yeah. Uh, and no, now, now you want to talk about back after absence? Yes, yes. Hi. <laughs> who is this young lady? I have no you idea. You remember who I am? I don't know. Brittany Everett is back after uh, an exciting opening day. Was that your parents you were with? That they were my parents. Yes. It's they they were. They, they were. were. They aren't anymore they aren't after anymore, that day. Yeah. They were carrying beer. They were carrying beers too. Uh huh. Yeah. Exactly. Nothing illegal about you. No. Now. Yeah. It was right? a good you're time. Legal, you're legal age now. Right? Yeah. Right. I'm 22. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Getting wow, up wow. there. All right. We you had are. a good time. We had never been to opening day. You had never been to no, opening day. No, because I always had school and I was never allowed to skip. Even college. Oh come. Yeah. Well. Well, college you could have <laughs> skipped. All right. Anyway. She is uh, back after a few weeks away, and we thank Kyle Ottenheimer uh, for uh, not being here today. Yes, we would like to thank Kyle, Kyle Ottenheimer for no. sitting in for you and not yeah, being here today. And, right, but Kyle did a great job the past three or four weeks. How long has it been? Has it been a month? Yeah, it's been three weeks. All so right, good. Well, it's good to see you back. Thank you. Good Don't let this back. happen any other time again. I'll try not to. All right, good Interesting show today. Of course, we've got real baseball to talk about for the first time since uh, back in uh, November uh, or October last year when the World Series ended the, the uh, uh, 2018 season. So real baseball is back. But we've got an interesting show today. We've got Kevin Coward on, formerly the Baltimore Sun, written many, many books. His new book is When the Crowd Didn't Roar. I was and, interviewed for that book. And it's Nebraska Press. Mm-hmm. He promised he was going to call me, never called me. We'll get to the bottom of that, why he called you and not me, okay? You mean to be interviewed? Yes. Yes. Well, I guess he Can you think some... of any good reasons? Yeah, he wanted somebody intelligent to talk to. <laughs> and Craig Heist is finishing up his last show. As a number <laughs> See you guys. Of Later. All right, anyway, uh, he joins us at 1020 today. At 10.45, uh, Todd Karpovich is going to join us. He's covering the Orioles for uh, Pressbox and PressBoxOnline.com. Doing a very solid job. And then at 11.05, we'll talk to our friend uh, and Pressbox columnist, also uh, uh, official scorer down at Camden Yards for a lot of games, and that is the one and only Jim Henneman Henny. about tonight's celebration of the life of Frank Robbins. It was nice to see Henny on opening day with his orange and black tux, like always. And yeah. just uh, it's 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 not opening day unless you see Jim Henneman with the orange and, uh, vest and, and the tie yeah. and the yeah. yeah yeah yeah. Still doing some great writing and uh, has written a couple pieces over actually going back 
three years, he wrote that cover story that we did with John Panisi's artwork on the cover, The Art of the Deal, right? with Milt Pappas traded for Frank Robinson. Um, and we will have Jim Henneman on to talk about the life and the passing of Frank Robinson and just how significant he was uh, in baseball and in Baltimore baseball right. history. And we also want you to re- remind you to like and share... Yeah, that's right. The uh, Facebook feed uh, at uh, PressBox. So uh, we want to make sure Thank you, you do for, that. Thank you for reminding me. I will do that. I was, uh, I'm becoming very forgetful. My friend Bruce Posner is going to be very upset with me today. Uh, uh, very upset with me today as we broadcast from the live casino hotel studios. Yeah. Um, Bruce Posner asked me to be on his show this morning at mm-hmm. 9 o'clock. Mm-hmm. There was just one problem. I always wake up on Saturday morning, and I'm rushing to get here. Uh, as long as I have my phone, uh, it's not a problem. You're the able phone to do rings, that. I yeah. can answer the phone and say, oh, that's right. I promise Bruce drove right in about 9.25. I'm phone. looking for my phone, and I'm going, I left my phone home. It's the worst, it's the worst uh, feeling ever when you leave your house, you don't have your phone, and you're halfway down the parkway to D.C. and realize it at right about that time. If you realize it like a block and a half away from the house, now do it's, you? It's one thing. Yeah, it is one thing because I had plenty of time yeah, to go yeah, back. I did right. not realize it until I, I don't know where I left it this morning. Mm-hmm. I remember shutting off the alarm, going in, and then all hell broke loose. I don't know. I apologize to Bruce. Uh, maybe you'll call him for me during. I will the, because the break. he doesn't want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, never... He called me right before the show. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in addition to those three guests that I mentioned, we will have on with us Mike Shallon of the New Hampshire Union Leader, and, and we will delve into just why the Red Sox are two and seven to start the season. And first of all, let me ask you a question: Can you remember a, um, an, a championship team? I'm not saying it's like football where they get the Thursday night football game, right, right. But they're on the road for what th- four series, and aren't they? and a and a West Coast trip to start. Well, I think a lot of it just has to do with in recent years it's been so damn cold at Fenway, right? And they've had weather issues, sometimes snow, sometimes sleet and freezing rain that they just started on the road, and uh, it took them to what Anaheim and Seattle, Seattle first, Seattle, Oakland, Oakland. Now and they're in Arizona, Arizona. and then they. No, I think it's just three cities. Yeah, three no, wait cities. a minute. I think it was – no, it's three cities. Three cities. I think it's 11 games, though. Right. It's 11 and, games. And it's a, it's a tough road trip and a tough way to start the, the and season. And they're two and seven. And their pitching hasn't been very good. Their starting pitching has been just dismal. Terrible, terrible. And uh, Adam Jones hit another home run last I noticed <laughs> that. What's he got, three? So four. Four so far. And they good moved him – and he started hitting cleanup. Right, the season hitting cleanup, and they then moved, moved him to lead off. Well, no, that is well. He matted a couple games lead off, and now they moved him to the cleanup spot. Yeah. yeah, that's a good spot for him there. And uh, look, you know, acquiring Adam and Adam Jones with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. I mean, he's he, not, he a has, not a bad thing. Not a bad nope. thing. And the contract is certainly diamondback friendly. <laughs> no question about it. And Adam trying to prove that he's uh, valuable enough to get another two maybe like a two-year 20 million dollar deal next time around. We'll see if that happens for Adam who gave uh, a lot of good service here in yep. Baltimore. No question. You know? But I think you see what Brandon Hyde and Mike Elias are trying to do. I see what I, they're trying to do, but I, I would still say that Adam Jones would have fit with this group. 
especially with the team being as young as it is. There's a lot of valuable knowledge with that uh, with that kind of a person and that kind of a, a player. And uh, as we can see, his best days are not done yet. So, uh, again, I well, would like let's to get, see let's get I to understand the, Let's get it. to the end of the season before we say, you know, well, let's, yeah, start, let's not that. hand him the triple crown this But, year. I mean, I, I just think that everybody that thought Adam Jones was washed up after last year just didn't know yeah. what they were talking about. I didn't think he was washed up, but I do think I understand the club's desire to want to build their own culture as they rebuild this team. Well, and Adam is such a dynamic personality that if you got him if you got him here making what he's making out there, three million dollars, I think Adam, it's just human nature. It's very hard to swallow going working for the same boss and going from fifteen million to three million and not think you're gonna get some some bad mouthing going well, no, on. No, but there's a way to, to do time. that with the contract that can be incentive laden and I'm sure right. it is with the diamondbacks yeah, it's as well. Incentive laden up to five million dollars. <clears throat> yeah. Right. So I mean you know, granted it's anyway, gonna, it, it was gonna be a pay cut, but it was gonna be a large pay cut. But what he could mean to this team in terms of experience and teaching these young kids something I think would have been invaluable. All right. We will see how this plays out. Now, the Orioles did make a somewhat surprising move yesterday in both veins, Mm -hmm. who they acquired and who they let go of and how the Pedro Aruojo scenario has played itself out. And he's coming back, folks. (laughs) He's back. He's in the organization. He's now a member of the Baltimore Orioles, and he will pitch for the Bowie Bay Sox, which is, look, the Rule 5 thing is a double-edged sword. You're getting a player who's been sort of blocked in an organization somewhat, but all too often that person that's quote-unquote blocked, meaning they've been in a minor, another team's organization for another team for six years, right? Is it five or six? Five. Five. They, uh, the, the, the rule is really intended for people like Jim Gentile, back in 1958-59 when he was behind Gil Hodges mm-hmm. for four or five years consecutively and couldn't get to the major major leagues. Pedro Arrojo was like about 19 or 20 when the Orioles acquired him. Or actually, his age surprised me. How old is Pedro Arrojo now? Uh, is it 23 20, or 24? I was going to say 23 or 4, yeah. Okay. But anyway... He he was he really belonged last year pitching really at high A at high A or the yeah. or, or Bowie at the highest. <laughs> yeah. Well, with the with the Rule Five rules, we have, you to, have keep to keep him on up. the right. So what usually happens is a guy who is trending up is now plateau or going down because he's not getting a year of development. Right now, they give a lot of lip service to the fact they give a lot of lip service to the fact that a player like him. He's going to gain all this other, you know, advantages by being on a big league roster. You know, yeah. Anyway, Pedro Arroyo was designated for assignment. The Orioles then offered him back to the Cubs. The Cubs took him. The Orioles then traded international bonus slot money uh, for Pedro Arroyo, and he is back now as a member of the Oriole organization. Yeah, because I think the I think the organization likes the arm. Uh, and, and like you said, the development part of it is the biggest thing. And, and this year, let's hope that he gets the uh, the innings and, and the time that he needs and 
he'll be able to get a year at, at Bowie under his belt, and that could serve him well going forward. No question about now, it. Now, Dan Straley. Now, let's talk about that. Now, Dan Straley, who was released by the Marlins uh, and was uh, picked up by the Orioles, uh, this is a guy who is very intriguing. I've had a chance to see him pitch several times against the Nationals. He is an innings eater. Uh, he will provide some stability, I think, to this rotation. And also, this year, he was 1-0 with the Marlins. His ERA was, was almost 6 in, in the one start. Uh, but the, the thing to me is you're talking about a guy that's won 14 games, 10 games. Last year he was hurt a little bit. He was 5-6. and six. But, uh, again, he, he's a guy that knows how to get people out. And, and I think uh, being part of this rotation – uh, he, he's a he's a pretty good insurance policy, Stan. Yeah, if they I, had to go get somebody, and you thought he was going to go to Oakland. I thought he was going to go to a contender. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, um, I thought Oakland was a real possibility. I even thought the Houston Astros might take a shot on him right now with Keuchel gone and McCullers gone, that he might have helped out there. Uh, a good, a solid pro. Very serviceable. 191 in the third innings in, in 16, 181 and two-thirds in 17. Last year, as I said, he was hurt and banged up a little bit. 122 and a third last year. Well, we learned something about the Orioles, though, that this season is going to – nothing is going to be set in stone. Well, yeah. The, and the player that they got rid of was somebody I think we had all – you didn't you weren't down in Sarasota, but I think everybody mm-hmm. but, that I mean, was with him for four or five weeks, <coughs> six weeks down there, thought he was a really solid addition – uh, manager Brandon Hyde liked Drew Jackson, mm-hmm. liked the the versatility that he could play second, short, third, or the outfield. I think he was the guy they originally pegged to be sort of the backup platoon almost with, with Mullins, mm-hmm. Cedric Mullins. I think as time went on, if he was really having trouble against left-handed pitching, um, Cedric Mullins, who's a switch hitter, but he can't hit right-handed real well, I thought Drew Jackson was going to play a bit of uh, center field. Could have been. And, uh, again, though, uh, I I don't know how this is all going to play out for Brandon Hyde going forward, but I think you're right. There's nothing set in stone for this team. I do like the fact that they've been able to move Trey Turner – Trey Turner. Trey uh, Trey Mancini. Mancini. Uh, to right, right field. field. I think that makes and, sense. And I think that makes sense, It's, it's especially in this ballpark where the thing that he really needs to do is just learn how to play balls off the wall. Other than that, it's a shorter uh, a shorter field of the three at Camden Yards. So I think for Trey, Trey Mancini's part, uh, that helps him a whole lot. And I think it's clear that Hanser Alberto, there was a little method to the madness there. I think they feel that when if Richie Martin doesn't hit and he's hitting under 100 right now, he's right. doing a solid job defensively. Although I see a couple hesitations in his game defensively, but I think he's solid athletically at shortstop. But it looks like on the days that they want to rest him or or quote unquote bench him, that VR can slide to short and Hanser Alberto can play second base. I think the outfield situation now with a plus defender like Dwight Smith gives you some other options for for having and the and the move of Mancini to right gives you Joey Rickard who can plug in at center field. Right, and 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 Rickard can can do a lot of different things. Yeah. And, and that's he's one a of valuable the, little guy for this club. Exactly. Now 
you know, I said one thing that's quite clear is nothing is etched in stone. For the first two times around the rotation, it looked like Nate Carnes is going to be the quote-unquote opener. I think now with, with Cobb, Kashner, Bundy, Hess, and Straley, to me that takes away the need for an opener. I think Nate Carnes ends up becoming the, the much more guy, yeah. va- valuable guy Possibly even closing some games out as that time could goes be on. with that with that arm stand. There's yeah. no question. I mean, he could fit that role because I'm not so sold on Gibbons closing out games no. or Gibbons rather closing out games. Uh, and and I don't know. I like Michael Gibbons, but I've seen uh, a regression here over the last part of last year and into this season. His so far. focus doesn't seem to focus be what it was. Focus doesn't seem to be what it was. Control is certainly not there the way we're used to seeing it. He uh, didn't, here's a way, even if it's not regression, he did not take the next logical step. He was yeah. so good in the, the second half of 14 and 15 and 16 that you thought by now he would have taken that next step, yeah. and he hasn't. And he hasn't. You're right. Um, so. I'm usually right. Kid, 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 you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I'm usually right, right? Uh, do we have phone calls? No. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get away on this show like that. <laughs> That's <get> right. <laughs> Gotta That's, think of a when he goes <laughs> off on, a, on an unbelievable tangent, we just can't open up the phone. No, lines. you can't do that. No, no, can't do that. Although it is time, very close time, for our guest Kevin Coward to join us. want to remind you that we're broadcasting each and every Saturday morning from the Live Casino and Hotel Studios. And we thank our friends at Live Casino and Hotel for uh, supporting us. All right? All right. All right. Again, the guest list today, Kevin Coward, author of When the Crowd Didn't Roar, the story of the game played before no paying fans. Right, because of the riots in Baltimore against the White Sox. Adam LaRoche was a part of that team. Right. Uh... I uh, had a chance to talk to him a little bit in the dugout that day about this and, and what it might look like or sound like or feel like right. to be playing. And, and he just says, right off the bat, this has just been a weird day all the way around. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. So, yeah, anyway, really we'll talk to Kevin Coward. Also joining us on the program, Todd Karpovich at 1045. Jim Henneman, 1105. And then our friend Mike Shallon from the New Hampshire Union Leader. He's also – he's like the Jim Henneman of Boston – you know, yeah. he um, although he doesn't wear an orange and black tuxedo on opening day, Mike Shallon will join us at <coughs> around 11.30 this morning talk about the bumpy start the Red Sox uh, got off to. All right, joining us now is the author of the book, When the Crowd Didn't Roar. It is Kevin Coward, and the book, by the way, published by Nebraska Press. Uh, Kevin, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure, Stan. How's everybody doing today? Uh, we're doing okay. I got to get one thing clear right away. You you interviewed Craig Heiss for the book, but you didn't interview Stan Charles for the book. Do you care to discuss that? Well, it was obviously a glaring oversight on my part. Um, <laughs> I, I think the uh, I think talking to Heisty, uh, it was so illuminating, Stan, that I almost felt I didn't have to talk to anybody else. I- uh, so, uh, that, listen, that, total that makes, oversight, and I apologize. That makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> and, and an explanation that I certainly accept. <laughs> hey, hey, it is April 2019 now. I remember when when I first heard from you that you were working on this book, 
that must be close to two years ago, and the events that transpired that led to the game where no crowd was allowed into the stadium is already just about. That's correct. Um, but, you know, I, I think you, you would know uh, from the beginning, stand and, and Heisty, too, that uh, uh, I just, from the very beginning, thought that this was, uh, that, that the whole scene was just crying out for a book. Um, you know, I if you go back to that, you know, that April of 2015, and you remember what a, you know, fraught and chaotic time it was in the city. Yep. Um, you know, first you had that, uh, the tragic death of a 25-year-old African-American guy named uh, Freddie Gray uh, from injuries suffered in police custody. And uh, that came on the heels, you guys will remember, of a number, number of other, you know, well-publicized deaths of black men around the country, yep. you know, after questionable encounters with law enforcement. So you had, uh, you know, you had the death of Eric Garner in Staten Island, Michael Brown, Ferguson, Missouri. You had the death of Tamir Rice in Cleveland, Walter Scott in North Charleston, South Carolina. So I don't think anybody was surprised when Freddie Gray's death uh, ignited massive protests in Baltimore. And uh, you guys will remember that those protests were, you know, mostly peaceful until the night of April 25th when um, demonstrators and, and bar uh, patrons clashed in the streets before that uh, Orioles-Red Sox game at Camden Yards. And, uh, you know, protesters vandalized some stores and some of the uh, and trashed some police you cars. Said, you said Red Sox. Wasn't it the White Sox? Yeah, it was the White no, Sox. It was, uh, that game was the Orioles against the Red Sox. Oh, the and White Sox came into town next. Right. Correct. Okay, and so, okay. I mean, so everything that I just outlined, think about it, uh, two days after after this is when Freddie Gray's funeral took place, and that's when all hell broke loose in the city. And we had the worst rioting Baltimore had seen since, you know, the death of Reverend Martin Luther King in 1968. And think about it, less than 36 hours later, you know, with the city still feeling like it could erupt all over again, and you know, with National Guard troops patrolling the streets and, mm-hmm. you know, the smell of charged buildings and burned out cars in the air and uh, tanks. We've had tanks rumbling through West Baltimore. Well, in the middle of all that, the Orioles and Chicago White Sox played a baseball game in, in lockdown Camden Yards. And, you know, as you guys know, that, that was the only game in the now 150-year history of the major leagues ever to be played without fans. So... I don't know. To me, guys, it just made it made perfect sense to write a book about that that incredible time in the city's history. One of the most uh, glaring things that stood out to me was being a reporter covering the, both of those games with the White Sox and the the game that was uh, fanless, if you will. Yeah, they're telling us in the eighth inning, don't leave the ballpark. Right. You know and. Then we get the okay a little later on, maybe about, you know, toward the bottom of the ninth. Okay, it's okay to leave the ballpark now. So they didn't want anybody there the day before that that had attended that game to leave the ballpark. And, I mean, that's how bad it was. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I think, you know, there's this, I don't know whether you guys have sensed it, but there's almost this little bit of revisionist history going on. And you hear it from certain people, certain city council members that I spoke to and 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 then a few of the media that covered that game, and they say, you know, it wasn't that bad back then. You know, didn't the, you know, uh, didn't the city sort of overreact to all the Freddie Gray unrest, and didn't the police department sort of overreact? And and you know, I'll tell you something from doing all the research that I've done, from talking to all the people who covered the game, 
the guys who played in that, the, the players on the White Sox and, and Orioles who played in that game. No, this was a very dangerous time in the city. And, uh, you know, the idea that the Orioles would play this game behind lock gates, don't forget, guys, when they agreed to do this, that freed up about four or five dozen Baltimore City policemen who normally are assigned to Camden Yards for a ball game, mm-hmm. freed them up to go to other parts of the city that were still super tense and, uh, and, and turbulent. So, you know, it was, uh, I think the Orioles made the right decision in conjunction with Major League Baseball, Mayor's Office, the Police Department. I thought Peter Angelos uh, really did stepped up. He made it clear from the very beginning, the owner of the Orioles made it clear that the city's plight and the plight of its residents was on the club's mind, and they, you know, they do whatever it took uh, to to whether they played the ball game or not was unimportant. The main thing was the city and the plight of its citizens. We're talking with Kevin Coward, his new book, a Nebraska Press uh, publication. When the crowd didn't roar is now available. Uh, Kevin, I've got to jump forward from the events that led to the book till now. Has the city? Has the baseball team, forget the city, I know the answer to that. There's been tons of businesses that have gone out of, out of business since the events back then. Uh, but has the ball club and the, the, the feeling of safety that fans have coming from the suburbs into the city, has that ever gotten back to normal in your estimation? And I'm, I'm guessing that's not really a big part of the book. Well, it's part of the book, uh, maybe not a huge part, but but I think the answer is that that, that there's a, uh, still a ton of fans, uh, particularly from out of town, yep. uh, from the counties, from uh, from Virginia, from Pennsylvania, who are leery about going into the city. They're, they still are, even for a baseball game. I mean, to me, guys, there's no more beautiful setting uh, for a baseball game in the country than Camden Yards. And the idea that four years later we still have people who are you know, a little leery about going down there. They still, even though there's so many other things to do down there, there's beautiful Inner Harbor, there's restaurants, bars, hotels. It's a great place. But, yeah, no, I, th- I think the effect is lingering, and uh, the city is trying to do something about it. But let's face it, guys, in those four years, the fortunes of the city have also declined. Also, they, so taken real a tough big time tumble. for Baltimore, yep. and I think the Orioles are still feeling that. Tell me how the book, I mean, what, when exactly was it released? Was it about a week ago? Monday. We had the launch event at the Ivy Bookshop on uh, Falls Road, Stan. Great event. Yep. Uh, well attended. Uh, so, yeah, it's out now. It can uh, uh, be purchased anywhere, online, uh, any bookstore. Uh, so that was the rollout on Monday. Now, when you write a book, obviously you want its largest possible audience. This This is a book that's got an audience, I feel, as a sports book and a sociology book, really, a sociology case study, uh, I think it's got a wider appeal than just Baltimore. Is Are you finding that early in the game? Yeah, uh, so far uh, I'm getting media requests from around the country and uh, doing some, some radio shows similar to yours. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, <clears throat> you know, to be honest with you, I always thought it would do well in Baltimore, mm-hmm. obviously, because of the Baltimore hook. But um, but I hope it's interesting to other folks. And as you said, Stan, it's not just a baseball book. I describe it as a non-baseball baseball book. Yeah. And, and people, I think, who are curious about the workings of the city, 
uh, who are curious about what that time was like in, during the Freddie Gray unrest. I think they'll, uh, you know, I hope anyway that they'll uh, take a look at the book, and I hope they'll like it too. Uh, one of the things that I remember specifically about sitting in the and, and what made the game being played uh, unique in itself is just the fact that, one, obviously no crowd in the stands, and 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 security would not even let us go down into the lower bowl. The only people that were allowed in the lower bowl uh, were photographers, but they didn't want us at all in the lower bowl. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're sitting there covering the game, and Chris Davis, I think it was, that hit, that hit a home run uh, in that game. And you hear Gary Thorne. It's so quiet in the ballpark. You hear Gary Thorne from the press box, from the broadcast booths up above us, mm-hmm. one floor above us. You hear Gary Thorne plainly, way back, goodbye, home run. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, yeah. that was very – I mean, we're all looking around at each other. <laughs> uh, you know, hey, that was Gary on the call. <laughs> Yeah, I tell you, the thing about it, a thing you'll discover about reading the book, guys, is that this game was not fun for anyone on the Orioles or the White Sox. You know, um, some members of both teams, you know, Buck Showalter, uh, manager of the Orioles at the time, and uh, Adam Eaton, outfielder for the White Sox, they were among a, a small group that said, hey, maybe, you know, playing a game without fans will be sort of like, you know, like the old Sandlot uh, right, game. Right. You know, where you just, you know, you throw out the bats and balls and gloves and you play ball, everybody has fun, you go home for dinner. But it wasn't anything like that. Um, Heisey, as you were describing, without anybody in the stands, the silence was eerie and it was unnerving. And the players in both dugouts were practically whispering to each other throughout the game because it felt like you were playing ball in the chapel. And and you didn't want any of the players from either bench – overheard saying something they're not supposed to say because the crowd mics obviously picked up everything, which was nothing because the stands were empty. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing that a lot of people don't think about is that, you know, it was so quiet in that ballpark, guys, that the players in the field, they couldn't get a handle on how hard balls were hit. Because every ball that came off the bat sounded like a rocket shot, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. like it would like it would hit the warehouse on the fly instead of just being like you know a routine single to right. So they couldn't get and and you, you uh, Heisey, you talked about the uh, Chris Davis three run homer. I mean, you know, the crack of the bat for that was so loud it just seemed to reverberate around the stadium for five minutes. So it was an eerie, uncomfortable setting for these guys, and you know the White Sox. They we're about ready to start a three-game series the next night in Minnesota. They played that game. They played the, the, the game against the Orioles like they just couldn't wait to get out of here, get to the get to the airport, get on the flight, go to Minnesota. So not a good game, not a not a fun game for, for players on either team, that's for sure. The Orioles jumped out to a big lead in that game, didn't they? Yeah, they did. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, Chris Davis hits this three-run homer. That was the last home run. I think that was the last home run he ever hit for the Orioles. I think it might have been. I'm telling you, I think it might. I feel so bad for that guy. Maybe they should go back to playing games without fans. And then Chris could. uh, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, bring that up with the Orioles. Some would argue the second half of last year they did. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. 
Uh, but no, they jumped out. So the Orioles, you may remember, guys, they were facing uh, uh, Jeff Samarja. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it was Jeff Samarja. Uh, yep. Overpowering uh, pitcher, ninety-eight uh, could easily touch ninety-eight on the gun. But they jump out to that four nothing lead with uh, Chris Davis's three run homer, and by the end of that inning, it's six nothing. And you know what? For all intents and purposes, the uh, the White Sox threw it in, and uh, and the Orioles cruise to an easy win. And here's another thing, guys: that game played in two hours and three minutes. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. When was the last time we had a game like that? I mean, now every game is a three-and-a-half-hour uh, slog, uh, slog fest to me. It missed, it um, missed 202, uh, the opener of Camden Yards, pitched by Rick Scutcliffe by one minute. One yeah. minute, interesting. Right, and look look how many years ago that was. Yeah. So. Kevin, you mentioned uh, you've gotten a lot of requests out of town, you know, to do media stuff. Uh, what do you got in the way of book signings locally here? Do you have a few lined up in addition to Ivy? Yeah, we definitely do. We got a bunch of them, Stan. Uh, Monday, we at seven thirty, we'll be at Greedy Reads in uh, Fells Point, a relatively new bookstore. Uh, I'll be at the Pikesville Barnes and Noble the following Thursday. And we're doing a lot of library stuff, <clears throat> library signings, and other Barnes and Nobles around the area. I'm so. going to have to get a copy of this as soon as I can because what You're I... You're going to be getting a copy. Well, no, I well, well, well what I want to do, though, is because Adam Eaton played in that game, I want to get him a copy of this book as well uh, since I see Adam all the time covering the Nationals. Right, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make well, that you, you, you know what was kind of odd about that? Uh, I I tried to approach Adam about helping uh, with the project. Yeah, and he just yeah, he didn't want to do it. And you know, I, I I understand that for a lot of these guys, it was just again an uncomfortable game. They weren't crazy about playing it, and they probably didn't want to revisit any memories from that day. Who uh, who were you able to get? Did you get Showalter? Did you? Get- oh yeah, yeah. So the Orioles were terrific, guys. And they, you know, initially when I approached them, I, I approached Greg Bader, you guys know, Vice, uh, sure. uh, Vice President of Communications and Marketing. Um, and the first thing he told me when I made my pitch to him was, you know, we just turned down ESPN for something like that. Right. So I'm looking at him. I said, oh, my gosh. I mean, he, here the, the project's going up in flames. I've been here right. five minutes. Right. But um, but I think ESPN was approaching the Orioles on on a different uh, they had a different tack they wanted to take with with the game, uh, but but uh, Greg was terrific and uh, the, the Orioles were were great guys. Uh, the guys that I relied on the most were and they're all gone now. So that shows you what happens when you cooperate with me for a book. <laughs> Buck Showalter gone, Adam Jones gone, uh, Zach Britton gone, Caleb Joseph gone, Ubaldo Jimenez gone. And the only guy left is Chris Davis, yeah. and we know what happened to his career. Yes, 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 <laughs> so, we do. How about uh, the White? How about the White Sox? Was their manager was probably Robin Ventura, right? It was, and you know what, guys? From the very beginning, uh, I relied on the Chicago uh, uh, Chicago papers, okay, the media. Uh, and Chicago writers for this game. I, I when I was thinking about how I was going to present this book. It was going to be a, a Baltimore-centric look, mm-hmm. and I was going to concentrate on the Oriole players. Because you got to remember, the White Sox got here in the middle of all this yep. stuff happening, and they were basically holed up in their hotel room for three days. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so 
to me, the more interesting story was always from the Orioles' perspective. Did you ever? Did you get to talk to any political uh, figures? I mean, the mayor or the or the uh, governor? Oh, yes. Yep. Yep. Uh, uh, mayor Stephanie Rawlings Blake, the mayor of Baltimore at the time, declined to help. Uh, but I talked to many uh, many of the city council people. Uh, I talked to uh, Kwesi Mfume, mm-hmm. uh former Maryland congressman and former NAACP president. Um, yeah, I talked to a lot of uh, the uh, uh, police department officials. Um, as you'll see in the acknowledgments for the book, I, I talked to probably everybody that I could think of who was part of that game, except Stan Charles. All right, except Stan Charles. We appreciate uh, Kevin. Yeah, we, but look uh, at I'm, all of those people that you did talk to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but but the good news is I'm not gone anywhere. Huh? I haven't right. gone anywhere. Yeah. Kevin exactly. was looking we're, out for we're, me. We're painfully aware of this, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Coward is our guest. The book is When the Crowd Didn't Roar. And uh, Kevin, first, I got to ask you before we let you go. You were at that game, weren't you? I was not. You I were not. Didn't cover, I didn't cover the game. I was downtown, Stan, but not at that game. All right. When, um, how soon after the game did you say, this is a, this is a book? Was it within a week, two weeks, or I, two months? I would, say, I would say within a couple of months, yeah. uh, Stan. I, was, uh, I, I just couldn't believe it. You know, and, and I've been telling people, I'm amazed, and still am amazed, that I'm the only guy who wrote a book about this. Yeah. Because, honestly, I thought people, I thought writers would be parachuting in from all over the place right. to write about this. Right. Well, Because it's it just, there's never been, you know, guys, in, there's never been in pro hockey, basketball, football, baseball, never been a game played without fans except for that game in Baltimore in April of 2015. It's an amazing thing. Fascinating. Beyond the center field gates, uh, behind the bullpen, okay, right where the monuments are now, the the statues. Right. A whole group of about 60, 70 fans. Yeah, I remember that outside the stadium. And they all yelled, oh, during the national anthem, and that's one of the other things that I take away from that, just the eeriness, as Kevin talks about, of just how strange it was to be in the ballpark that day. All right. We appreciate your coming on. We know you got to get to a, a book show, I think, uh, in Annapolis. Yep, Annapolis Book Festival. I'll, uh, I'll be speaking there at 1 o'clock, guys. Where, where is that exactly? That's at the Key School in Annapolis, a, a beautiful uh, private school in Annapolis. And, books, and uh, they and, do a great job with this book festival. And books will be available. The book will be available there. Correct. I'm not sure about that. I'm, I, you know, something that I'm not positive about that. I don't know whether it's just a talk or whether okay. it will be a book signing too, Stan. All right. Well, we'll look forward to seeing you down the road, and uh, maybe in a, a month or so, or around Father's Day, let's get you back on the show and and plug it again. All right. I'd be be happy to do it, guys. All right. Thanks, Kevin. All right. Thanks. Take All care. All right. There you have it, Kevin Coward. Uh, formerly the Baltimore Sun, has become a prolific book writer. All right. Um, Listen up, moms and dads, all season long. Kids ages 9 and under, cheer free at Oriole Park. That's right. Visit Orioles.com slash kids free for details. And bring your kids to cheer free. Maryland, it's the craziest time of year for college basketball. So don't miss a minute of the madness. Fridays through Sundays in March, watch your favorite teams compete for a spot in the championship on 74 feet of HD LED screens in the Sportsbook and Sports Bar at Laurel Park. 
With food and drink specials during games and thrilling live thoroughbred racing Friday through Sunday, there's no better place to indulge in the madness. Visit Facebook.com slash Laurel Park for details. We'll see you there. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Stan the Fan Charles sits down with new Orioles general manager Mike Elias to discuss the plan for guiding the franchise back to prominence. Plus, Hopkins legend Paul Rabel details his vision for how the PLL can be a game changer for pro lacrosse. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. One-third of of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking, then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square is very, very popular, as you've undoubtedly noticed if you've been there recently. Want to skip the lines completely? Download the Chick-fil-A app, and your food will be ready when you get there, but not a minute sooner. Your hot, fresh waffle fries, fresh, never-frozen chicken, and ice-cold drinks will be delivered to you when you get there. They'll bring it out to your car, or you can come in and get it without standing in line. Plus, ordering through the Chick-fil-A app earns you reward points that will add up to free stuff. And the app remembers what you like. So if you like extra pickles, then the app remembers. If you prefer less ice in your drink, the app remembers. Anytime you customize your order, the Chick-fil-A app will file it away and remember for your next visit. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. If you need help downloading the app, ask the Nottingham Square store owner, Steve. Steve can do anything. Chick-fil-A, get the app, skip the lines. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. This is former Terp AJ Francis, just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled Uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on my list. This is your boy Y2AJ here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. Hi, we're back. PressBox. We are back and it's time to talk about the PressBox High School Lacrosse Show. It's sponsored by Jerry's Tire located in Baltimore City, just steps away from Little Italy in historic Jonestown. Jerry's not only sells all the major brand tires like Bridgestone, Michelin, and Continental, but is your go-to shop for everything from oil changes to factory scheduled maintenance. All repairs are backed by a nationwide warranty. The team over at Jerry's has been serving the Baltimore area for over 62 years, and they're eager to earn your business, so give them a call at 410-685-4330 or visit them online 
at jerrystire.com. That's G-E-R-R-Y-S tire.com. And that's where you can shop for tires and schedule an appointment. Jerry's Tire. All right, we are back, Mr. Ice. Yes, we are. And uh, the Nationals have a game coming up at 110. At City Field. At City Field. Second game of their uh, series with the Mets after the off day yesterday. And uh, they are sitting at 3-3. They've had certainly some uh, fundamental lapses. Uh, Victor Robles in particular. Wilmer Defoe. A couple of bad uh, base running plays. Right. uh, A couple bad. Well, again, like I said, fundamentals both from Robles and Wilmer Defoe. Pitching, starting pitching has been pretty good, uh, as we would expect with that club. The bullpen, not very good. Struggled mightily through the first four games. Uh, wound up getting a real solid effort, though, uh, in the game against uh, Cindergard the other day, which Strasburg won in a 4 nothing shutout. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think right now the Braves got themselves back home after being in Philadelphia for the opening series, and now they've won four straight. So I, I just think that division is going to be wide open. People are going to beat up on each other all year long, and I think any one of four teams can win the day going thing. All right. Um, before we grab Todd Karpovich, yeah. uh, 20 seconds. How severe is – how long do you think Trey Turner is going to be out with his fractured finger, and how huge a loss is that oh, right It's now? a ma- major loss because I think uh, you, you think about the Mets series to start the year. He was four for four in stolen bases. Uh, hit two home runs in the one game, uh, the, the Sunday game, their first win of the year, the walk-off uh, coming in that game. And, uh, again, it's uh, – you know, you can argue Anthony Rendon is maybe the best player on that team, but in terms of stirring the drink – Yeah, the igniter. The igniter, Trey Turner, Adam Eaton at the top of that lineup, uh, they can do so many different things, and uh, it's a huge loss for the Nationals. And I would think it's probably about a, a month to six weeks. That yeah. would be my guess. Real quick, does, do you think they move Robles up higher in the batting order, or does he stay? Well, no, eight? they put they, for now they've put Dozier in the, in the two-hole. In the two-hole, okay. <clears throat> All right. Yeah. All right, joining us now is a guy who's uh, – Jumped in uh, full bore and is covering the Baltimore Orioles for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. He is our jack-of-all-trades, but he's a master of some. Oh, I was going to say none, but... No, (laughs) no, no. Todd Karpovich. You see who... Carpy, you know I love you. supported you. Look who who bashed you. See that? See that? I said, Carpy, I know. I love you. And he goes, I hear you, Heisty. Yeah, yeah. Right. We've been friends too yeah. long. I hear you, the phony. Yeah, yeah. We've been uh, friends longer than you've known, Carpy. <laughs> that's how we give each other compliments. We give each other crap. That's, 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 a, right. that's and, a Baltimore version. And of a, exactly, and, that, and that's kind of a triangular thing with, with me, Carpy, and Dave Ginsburg. Ginsburg. Right. <laughs> well, thank God I'm not in that triangle. i, I got to tell you, he comes down to cover a game at Nats Park. Who? Ginsburg. Oh, Ginsburg. Ginsburg. And the first for the Harper. Yeah, yeah, for the Harper, the first night Harper's right. in town. And he walks th- through the media lounge because the, the where we eat at Nats Park is right behind everybody sitting in the press right. box. He looks at me, and the first thing he says is, Heisty, this place reeks of bacon. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a connoisseur and he of is, yeah, right. bacon. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of bacon, uh, Orioles, uh, I think they've proven in the, first, uh, the last couple weeks, first with sending Austin Hayes down, then with sending Chance Cisco down, then with the designation of Pedro Aruojo, and and now the acquisition of Dan Straley, and the uh, and the uh, 
demotion uh, or sending away Drew Jackson that none of the Oriole players, maybe say Trey Mancini and Jonathan VR, really can get real comfortable in their positions on this team. No, they got to perform, which is good to see. Um, you know, they. I mean, you know, I think they're going to give these guys a chance. You know, to, to show I think they play, but some guys are going to have to start stepping up. Namely, um, Cedric Mullins. You know, he's batting zero five nine. Um, you know, um, he is batting two eleven. You know, some of these guys got to start. It's only a week into the season, so there's time. But again, you know, Hyde and I for watching and. You know, if, if, if guys are performing in AAA, AA, then they're going to come up and get their shot. I would think, you know, after the first month of the season, that, that, that soon. Let me ask you a question. I know the club liked Drew Jackson. Uh, I know manager Brandon Hyde did from being down in Sarasota, and he mentioned him at every turn. Uh, he'll go back. He'll be offered back to the Dodgers, which is the team that technically he came from, although the Phillies – drafted him, and then the Orioles sent international bonus slot money to the Phillies for uh, Drew Jackson. Do you think there's a possibility that the Orioles feel we can get him back from the Dodgers for international bonus slot money? Oh, it's, I mean, they're, 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 as um, Elias said, you know, they're, they're high on him. They love his versatility, but, you know, he's the way he performed in spring training and the way, and the way he can play multiple positions, he might be an attractive player for other teams. So it'll be something to watch. All right, we'll keep our eyes on that. What um, what do you think Dan Straley brings to the table for this team, and does it impact Nate Carnes's role as quote unquote the opener, even though it's short lived? Yeah, I guess the opener experiment was uh, after two after two two runs that they decided it was too much pressure on the bullpen. Um, and, you know, they're going to need that bullpen if the Stars can't go deep into the game. I like this guy. This guy's surely, you know, that can help. He, he's a proven player, you know. He's a veteran. I think it was his best year was, what, uh, 20, uh, 2016. He had 14 and 8, 376 ERA. So it gives him a veteran arm. You know, he'll get a shot. I think uh, going to the traditional five-man rotation, at least for the, at least, you know, for the first couple couple months is the way to go, especially the way the bullpen was getting worked over. I mean, yeah, I saw it against the Yankees on opening day. I think this is a double-edged uh, move here. I think it, it strengthens the starting rotation. And I think as smart as Elias and Hyde and Sigar, I, I really think they, they miscast Nate Carnes thinking he could come in after not having pitched at all in 2018 and be some sort of innings eater. I think his numbers yell out to me, short, short and frequent to me for Nate Carnes. And if he can warm up two, three times a week and pitch in three, it's more valuable that way. I agree. I think he's a good chip coming out of the bullpen now. I don't think he was just – he just wasn't cut out for the open, open role, especially when he's giving them two innings. You know, it was just too many – it just put too much pressure on the back end. And the middle of the bullpen was a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think him coming out of the bullpen now – you know, in the, you know, fifth, sixth inning, seventh inning, he, he, he could be, he'd be really effective for that. Uh, let me ask you this. I think the, the one thing that we've seen over the first uh, week and a day, if you will, uh, is just the – everybody expected this team to be quote-unquote bottom feeder and thing, and, and it still may turn out to be that way. But my, my take out of this first week is the enthusiasm – and the way they've played the game pretty much the right way. Yeah, there have been some hiccups here and there, but I, I think that that's what they've gotten out of this team over the first seven, eight days. 
hey, they're playing hard. They're playing intense. Did you see Sucre's reaction when Mike Wright missed that pitch? Yeah. To give him a three-run home run? He was, he was angry, you know, because he called for that ball down and out, and Wright hung it up. And he was, I mean, he was mad that he missed that pitch. And that's, you know, that's good to see with this team. That they're getting, you know, they, they want to win. They expect to win. And when guys make mistakes, they're going to have to answer for it. I, I, I love seeing that. And Wright even said, you know, I think he said it. People are going to think it's the same old Mike Wright, but you know, you got no two count. You can't make that pitch, and he he admitted, you know, one pitch really changed the, you know, perception of that outing. But again, you got to make in baseball, you got to make that pitch. You're going to pay for it, and that's and and that's what made this move uh, with Straley coming here uh, a little more interesting. As Stan and I were talking about earlier, you know, I'm a little surprised at who they cut because I thought maybe that could have been Mike Wright's ticket out of here as well. Yeah, I agree. Um, but he's going to get another shot. I guess they, again, I guess, you know, he's pitched pretty effectively. He was pretty effective at, you know, Dortz. He was a, he was a uh, contender for the rotation. So we'll see what he can do. I think he'll get another chance. Uh, probably not today. Maybe tomorrow. We'll see what he can do. But, well, again, he's, he's a guy who's got to watch his roster spot right now. Yeah, he's, he's going to have to keep an eye on it. You know, I, I'm not trying to make an excuse for Mike because he clearly missed that pitch and it's inexcusable. I think Mike really got caught up in he goes to spring training and knows he's in the fight for his life for a roster spot. He gets on a roll down there, and again, we don't know exactly what batters he was retiring, but he has 10 shutout innings, and I think all of a sudden there was all this talk, hey, you're going to be a starter. Mm-hmm. And at the very end, it, it just because of the situation of the way a baseball season starts – he was needed early on in a relief role, and then that <clears throat> changed. And I think he got sort of out of sorts where his mindset had been, hey, I'm a starter again. That's what I want to be. And I think, he got, I think he's got to really recalculate, recalibrate and get into this relief role because that's where he's going to be uh, and or that's he's going to be gone. And that's where they're going to need him. Yes. For, yeah. Well, that's the thing. You know, a lot of these guys got to get their head straight. You know, um, it, I tell you what, it was very, very difficult listening to Chris Davis talk uh, Thursday after that game. He was really emotional. I mean, they booed the heck out of him. Um, and he was, you know, he's just, I think he's back, he's back in a bad place. I mean, I don't know what they can, uh, what they're going to salvage out of that. And now, you know, it's national news now. Everybody, yesterday, everybody's writing about Chris Davis. You know, so the, the pressure's even getting, there's even higher pressure on him now. I tell you, that was, that was a very difficult interview after the game on Thursday. Well, he's he's in a bad place or back in a bad place, but I don't even I never thought he got out of the place that he was in anyhow. Yeah. Well, I think I, I I'll give you my two cents on this. Uh, I think the reason he hasn't gotten out of that place is because I think they're attacking everything but the eight thousand pound elephant in the room, right. which it's between his ears. He needs to yeah. sit down with a sports psychologist, and it's not one. 20-minute meeting, this is some ongoing stuff to talk about performance anxiety. That's what he's daily, got going on. Right. Yeah. It's got to be a daily, a daily, uh, you know, a daily session. It's, it's, it's very painful for Chris. It's very painful for us that have to cover it. And I, I very rarely have ever gone out and said this, but I think it's incumbent upon the fans in Baltimore it, you don't have to give him a pass, but the booing is so counterproductive to what he's trying to do right now 
there's no way that the booing assists him at all. And I know, listen, the Orioles are going to be trying their hardest to get any fans to come through the gates this year. You certainly have the right to, to boo Chris yeah. Davis, just sure. like you have the right to boo anybody. But it's so counterproductive, and you've got a – you have a – and I know people are going to laugh at me. You have sort of a human tragedy unfolding, and you can laugh or say, what are you talking about tragedy? He's got $21 million, $21 million a year. That's not yeah. what I'm talking about. This is a guy who is suffering, and me personally, I'm not going to boo him. I just uh, – no. it's it doesn't it's, help. It, it doesn't help. The manager knows what's going on. The front office knows what's going on. Doing doesn't, they're not letting them know anything. But doing him and yelling at dissatisfaction doesn't change, you know, what the, what the, what the manager and the front office already know. Well, you look, know I, mean? I, don't, I don't profess to know Chris Davis like my best friend that I grew up with. But I have been around him enough to know that he's a sincere guy. And when you talk to him about certain subjects, he opens up to you. Yep. And... You can tell from a human standpoint that nobody's bothered more about this than Chris Davis. Right. And, yeah. it, and it and is killing him inside. And you know, he faced the media after the game. He didn't have to do that. There's a lot no, of guys who were right. staying in the shower until we left that clubhouse. But he, he was, you know, he, there was a big scrum of media opening day. That must have been, you know, 15, 20 reporters there. And he answered every question. You know, so you got you to give him credit for that. He's taking accountability. I, he's taking accountability, but I, I've got to tell you, I don't know whether it comes from Mike Elias, Brandon Hyde, or Chris himself. And and I'll be honest, I don't know for a fact that he hasn't talked to somebody. But I assure you, I as I he did see a, psych, a sports psychologist. He did see someone. That's what he said in the offseason. Okay. Well, he talked to his uh, former former coaches with the Texas Rangers. Okay. And he said he talked to a sports psychologist, but maybe he needs to. He needs to keep going with it. Yeah, well, know? I mean, listen, when you're trying to break through what he's trying to break through right now, talking to them once or twice for, ten, you know, 15, 20 minutes, that's all well and good. He needs somebody that's able to help him drown out some of the other stuff because it's just, you know, it's right now, Craig, I, I jotted down the numbers. If you go back to September 4th last year, mm-hmm. since then he is 2 for 78. Mm-hmm. That is zero for that is 0.025 is the batting average. One run scored, one RBI, 32 strikeouts, I think uh, nine walks. Or and the RBI walks. was on a bases-loaded walk right. this, this year. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a letter in today's Baltimore Sun on the A section, page 11, a letter to the editor. A fan wrote, his headline, Orioles fans are better than Chris Davis. There's a fan right then saying he's not going to go to the games anymore. Chris right. Davis is in the lineup. I mean, geez, a list. Yeah. Talk about overreaction. Well, listen, uh, listen, we all have the right, as I say, to boo anybody we want to boo, and we have the right to want to win as many games as we are. Uh, this is, as I'm characterizing it, a, a human tragedy unfolding before our very eyes because you have somebody who is so deep in a funk that uh you know i'm 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 fearful for his mental health right now you know and it's, and it's, let's switch subjects a little bit here um, yeah i mean orioles get six of their first nine against the yankees and you know the yankees got 11 guys on il look how deep that team is i mean yeah if they get through the stretch you know here if they, if they can somehow 
pull out the series, you know, there's going to be a lot. There's going to be some momentum, you know, heading into this Oakland series this week. No question about it. Uh, let's talk about. You're you're absolutely right. We could talk Chris Davis for an hour every Saturday, and it's not going to change things until something changes in in between his ears. Um, let's talk about something else. Um, it was kind of encouraging when you when you compare it to a year ago how they rushed Alex Cobb in from signing him March 21st to get him a start. I think it was in the second series of the year last year up in Boston um, yeah. to see him pitch five plus innings and look like the Alex Cobb that they thought they were getting. Oh yeah, he looked really good. And he, spring training, a whole spring training helped him. Um, I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, though, he's going to be a valuable trade chip <laughs> you know, yeah. alive if he's yeah. pitching that way. And he knows it. He's ready to go to contender. You know, yep. um, he's a guy, you know, looking, looking, you know, maybe looking to play, looking to pitch for a team in a playoff run. Um, so it's, that's, that's something to watch, too. Now, the flip side of that is you get, you get sort of the mixed bag already with the two starts of Andrew Kashner. He looked horrible against the Yankees. And he looked very good against a Toronto team that, frankly, does not hit very well. Uh, yeah. They're going to have trouble scoring runs the whole year. Um, so he's a mixed bag. Uh, Dylan Bundy gets the start tonight, I believe. Big start for him. And yeah. it, is a bi- it is a big start because, look, the Orioles would love nothing better than to see him sort of arrive at the dance and start to perform the way they thought he would when he'd be a major league pitcher. Uh, and also, frankly, they need him to perform much better to to create value for himself as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, he's got to he's got to keep the home runs down. That that's been his challenge. He's he's up against it tonight against the Yankees lineup. That team can hit. All eight of their runs came via the home run on Thursday. So that's how they're going to score. What's been your impression of this bullpen so far? I I think the pick. I mean. It's been hot and cold. I mean, they, they pitched great in Toronto. They actually pitched great in that first series against New York. Um, but again, I, th- I think they're they're showing some wear and tear. I think that off day yesterday is really going to help them. But I, I think they got some arms out there. Um, I know Gibbons and Castro sort of struggled you know, the other Thursday, but I think once they settle in and once the thing is, um, people were saying these guys they were so used. Uh, some of the guys last year were so used to having a defined role. And I don't think that's how Hyde Hyde's still trying to figure out the walls. You know, there's a, well, yeah, like four guys with saves already. Yeah, um, that, that's where I, I see the biggest issue. Not a, I won't call it a problem because he's got to figure out what he's got there. But generally, relief pitchers thrive on knowing their roles and a manager that is adhering to those roles, not just simply because it, it, it it's just – it allows them mentally to know when to expect to go into ball games. Yeah, I agree. I think this guy's struggling. They're sitting there and randomly get called up. You know, yeah, the pitch. You know, I think guys know their role. They know it's the six innings. You know, pitch counts at eighty. They know that they're probably going to be next, and they start getting the mindset that they're coming to the game. You know, I think that. I think that helps, but we don't. We don't know what the bullpen coach is saying to him. You know, he might. They might already have a plan, as far as we know. I don't think any. I don't think anybody. <clears throat> pardon me. In this game is more creatures of habit than pitchers. I agree. You know, yeah. in terms both, of just both routine. the starters and the relievers, right. yeah. Yeah, they have yeah. their bullpen sessions a certain way. You know, they, they want the warmth a certain way. They have, they have routines that they need to stay in, which is, yeah. you know, 
you got to respect that. If that's how they're going to be affected, that's how they're going to be affected. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's talent out there. I mean, look, the left-handers, Means, Fry, and... and um, and uh, means fry and who's the other left-hander? A uh, Blyer. I yeah. like all three of them. I think they're very solid. And, Givens, and I, Craig, and I were talking. We feel if if he hasn't regressed, he never made that final step to greatness. You know that right. we thought he had. I love Means. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the little bit that I've seen of him so far this year. Uh, you want more? I want. I want more. I want more you of want Means. More means. <laughs> and, but Blyer's coming off that injury, so he hasn't been. Entirely effective yet, but I think it'll be okay yeah. once he gets some pitches in him. Hey, one last question before we let you go. We got Jim Henneman coming up to talk a little sure. Frank Robinson in a minute. Uh, Richie Martin, um, we know he's made the jump because of the Rule 5 all the way from Double A. Uh, are they going to be hard-pressed to keep this guy if he if he's hitting 125 or less and he's hitting under 100 right now? Yeah, he's got, he's got to start hitting. Um, they like his glove, but again, yeah. you know, and then they got his, his thing is, you're right, that rule five, and I think he's a guy that somebody will, they'll, somebody will pick him up. You know? Oh, no but question got, about he's, it. He's got to start hitting. Right now he's batting 111, it looks like. Yeah. Okay. So, All right. Um, but, you know, he, he's a guy, you know, he, he can, he's a guy that can, he can punt, he can play small ball, you know, he's got, he gets on base, he can, he's fast, you know, so. But, yeah, they got to get these, some of these guys got to, it's only a week into the season, you know, so All right. we'll see over, you know, in a month with who's hitting and who's starting to come around. Todd, thanks very much for accommodating us on the switch of time today. Uh, we appreciate no it, and we'll talk to you this week out at the ballpark. It's not like you had it. What's that? Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to be able to get there. I, my wife and I had bought tickets a couple months ago for a cystic fibrosis event, uh, and I had no idea the Frank Robinson thing, so I'm going to tape that. It is on Masson tonight. They're doing. I think they're coming on at six o'clock to uh, I'll show. Them. Warm. Well, yeah. well, now wait a minute. Karpovich works for us, right? Yeah. All right. So he works for a number of people. Well, okay, but but what I'm saying is, so time shouldn't be an issue, and it's not like you had anything else to do. <laughs> <laughs> I had no life. <laughs> exactly. Who, right. in, who in this business does? Exactly. All right, Todd. Thank <laughs> you very much, my friend. All right. We'll go from Todd Karpovich. We'll make a quick turnaround and grab Jim Henneman in just a moment to talk a little bit about the celebration of life of Frank Robinson tonight. It'll be it'll be great. Am I still on here or what? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it'll be it'll be great. Uh, and again, we saw different ceremonies and tributes across Major League Baseball shortly after his passing, uh, and. But just what he meant to this city, uh, I mean, in terms of you always heard Brooks and Jim Palmer and everybody talk about, you know, we were a good team. We, you know, Frank put us over the top. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't think anybody covered more bases in his time with Major League Baseball as a player, a manager, front office uh, person, uh, a guy working for the commissioner yep. uh, in, in New York, and maybe even almost becoming commissioner himself. Than Frank Robinson did. All right, joining us right now is a, a man who knew Frank for a very long time. Uh, actually, got to know Frank a lot better in his non-playing days, um, and when he became an executive with the Baltimore Orioles. Let's uh, grab our friend Jim Henneman. Jim, how are you? Doing good, guys. Uh, Jim, uh, your thoughts on uh, the ball club? First of all, putting on this event tonight to celebrate the life of Frank Robinson. 
I've already, I think that's really pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I kind of expected that something would happen somewhere along the line. and uh, But the idea of, I mean, technically having a, a memorial service at the ballpark, I think, was really, was really a great idea. Uh, uh, kind of gives everybody a chance to participate, and uh, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm hopeful that the Yankee fans will be there in abundance and that some Oriole fans who might not otherwise have gone tonight will want to pay their respects by being there to help celebrate the life of Frank Robinson tonight at the ballpark. Um, yep. It's going to take place on the field. It's, it is going to be on Masson. They're covering the, the entire event. I think it starts at 6.15, right, Jim? That's, that's what my understanding is, yes. And In your reference to the Yankee fans, I would expect that there would be a much more Yankee fan presence uh, yep. tonight and tomorrow. Uh, actually, the game Thursday, I we were talking about that. I said it might have been the least uh, the least Yankee crowd that the, in the history of Camden right. Yards. Yeah, right. But I think the fact that there was an off day in between and the weekend is now, I think we'll see a, big, a marked difference in that. And the weather's supposed uh, to be about seventy degrees both days. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, we're so that's the good news and the bad news all wrapped up in yeah, one. Yeah, and and you know what, the, you know, it's nice. I just want a nice crowd. It doesn't have to be all Oriole centric. I know the Yankee fans will pay their respects and be respectful uh, to this event tonight. But Frank was. It brings up the topic. He wasn't just Baltimore. He was Major League Baseball, wasn't he, Jim? Yes. Yeah. I I agree with that. And I I really you know uh, of course this might be might be. Uh, putting people on the spot, but I'm going to be really curious to see how the the, the players of both teams re, uh, react to this, uh, to this ceremony, especially the Baltimore. I mean, mm. a lot of these kids on the, uh, on the Baltimore team, I mean, in all honesty, uh, you know, hardly really know who Frank is uh, unless they're really good students of the, of the history of the game. Well, I would expect, uh, not that they'd be ordered to attend it or be in the dugout right. respectfully. I think Brandon Hyde who will, uh, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure will be standing at attention and listening to the the, the words that are spoken tonight. As I, under, as I understand it, Jim, uh, Brooks, Boog, and Jim Palmer are all going to speak tonight, correct? Yeah, that, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm not aware of all the, all the speakers, and uh, uh, but I have heard those three names, and uh, uh, I'm sure it'll be an impressive list. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm glad it's them and not me. I know that. <laughs> yeah. Not that I would be involved. Don't get me wrong, but I, I, I think that even after, even after all these years, I think it'd be tough for all for all those guys. Uh, do you know at all whether or not the club reached out to Barbara and Nichelle? Yeah, I think they're going to be there. They are going to be there. Okay. The only reason I know that is because I know that uh, I know there's going to be representation from MLB uh, at the part tonight. I know, and I do know that. Uh, uh, just by a virtue of email that I received uh, from from one of the people that I'm involved with uh, as a scorer, uh, that Barbara and Michelle are both going to be there. Yeah, and, uh, uh, as is uh, and Jeff Idelson also is uh, from that's the, great. the Hall of Fame will also be there. That's great. That's great. We're talking with Jim Henneman about the life and uh, times of uh, Frank Robinson and the Orioles celebrating his life, Jim. I know for you and me, it's a little bit of a repeat, but the viewers that are watching us on Facebook Live and listening on our website, they they didn't hear you last night on Masson, some of them. Frank Robinson was, as I said earlier, much larger than the Baltimore Orioles, and in fact, in Major League Baseball history, there are very few people 
that have the resume and impact that he's had on the game? In reality, I mean, we we kind of like look at Frank as as like as like an Orioles icon, but in reality, he really spent only roughly, I mean, less than a third of his career here, and and barely a third of his playing career here. So, uh, you know, there's a lot more to it. The one thing that that I think that people for that we, but we have overlooked generally on this thing is that this guy managed in Puerto Rico for five years. Yeah. I mean, while he was playing, I mean, that's an incredible, you know, I mean, I, the more I think about that, uh, you know, the, the more it, it makes you wonder who, who in the world would go through that. Yep. I mean, I, now I understand he was really driven to become a manager. There isn't any question in my mind that, that, that becoming the first African-American manager in, in baseball was a, a priority for him, not maybe from, get, from day one, but maybe from day two or three. And uh, and the fact that he went to, to that extent uh, to do it. And the other thing was, he also, after he had a big league job, after he had two big league jobs, he ended up going back to the minor leagues and managing the minor leagues before he, before he getting, uh, before returning to the business as a manager again. That, that, those, those things tend to be overlooked. Yeah. They're pretty remarkable. Yeah, they, they truly are. There's no question about it. And I agree with you. Both of them kind of equally remarkable with the resume that he had and sort of the, the the money that he was used to making as a player back. And I know it's all relative, but for him to have gone back to Rochester uh, to manage uh, in the Orioles system was was quite remarkable, no question yeah. about it. One other thing, I, you know, <laughs> it's funny. We saw Brooks and Eddie at Camden Yards on opening day. Right. And – uh, somebody made mention of the fact that, you know, whatever that line was that, you know, talked about Brooks, you know, Reggie Jackson in New York, and they say, you know, people named candy bars after Reggie. Right. People in Baltimore named their kids yes, after Brooks. Gordon Beard's famous right, line. Right, Gordon Beard's famous line. Uh, but but with Frank, as a kid, and I, and I thought about it, I was so fortunate to cover this guy with two teams as a manager, the Orioles mm-hmm. and then, <clears throat> pardon me, the Nationals. But growing up as a kid in Baltimore, he was my favorite Oriole. Mm-hmm. He was the guy that you went on the on the sandlot with and, and imitated. Im- imitated the batting stance. Yeah. And and I used to catch crap about that because of the fact that Brooks was here, you know. And and I used to get a lot of flack from friends because of that. Mm-hmm. And and at a time where you could understand where the flack was coming from, sure. But Frank meant that much to me as a player, and the fact that he played for the Orioles made it even much better. And and the success during that run that he was here, Jim. It's hard to believe it's been over three years now. But 1965 was the trade was made, and we did in 2015 on the 50th anniversary. You wrote that great cover story that John Panisi did that a great artwork, the art of the deal. Uh, what do you remember about that and and what the Reds were trying to accomplish and why they would have traded a player of that of that ilk? What I remember most about it is, is that is that I had I had been given an inkling that something was going to happen about I'm going to say about four or five days before that trade was made. It was it was a weekend. I remember it was leaving sale was getting ready to leave. There was some kind of a there was a farewell party. Uh, it was being held, and uh, and Walter Yalsu at the time was a, was a Orioles scout. Uh, said, 
had told me that they were on the verge of making a blockbuster deal that was going to, you know, that was really going to shake, was going to really shake things up. And that, that's as far as that I could ever get with it. I never really could find anything more bad until it, until it happened. And then, and then in retrospect, you you know the 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 Reds who were who felt like they were pretty well fortified offensively. Yep. Needed a pitcher, and uh, and and it wasn't like they were left uh, devoid. But you know they they did have a good team. The, you know the worst thing. Listen, the way things go today, the, the way people talk, uh, value the starting pitching so the today, a trade of this of that proportion to a, a guy, a thirty year old, mm-hmm. uh, quote unquote, old thirty year old outfielder for a uh, a younger pitcher, starting pitcher. It, it might not even cause a blink of an eye right now because, I mean, that, that's how screwed up, I, in my mind, that's how screwed up this game is right now. We, we're so over, we so overvalue starting pitching right now and pay guys incredible amounts of money to pitch five and six innings that it blows me away. But that's another story. For another <laughs> story for another day. <laughs> that's another topic. <laughs> All right. By the way, again, we're, we're talking with Jim Henneman, who writes for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com, covers the Orioles and Major League Baseball. For us, he's an official scorer, and he does special publications for the Orioles. He is probably the preeminent, along with Bill Stetka in this town, preeminent Orioles history expert, uh, and he's talking about Frank Robinson. Um, first of all, Jim, were you at the ballpark on, May, on Memorial Stadium on May 8th, uh, 1966? Yes, I was. Yeah. So you saw? Were you in the stands or were you in the press box? No, I was working. You no, I was working. working. I was, I was, I was. I mean, I was like a, a you know, I was like the number at home games in the, in my in you know my news American days. I mean, we always had two guys at the ballpark, you know, at home games. So I was, uh, yeah, and I talked myself into a, you know, if you remember, I, I think the the official unofficial estimate of the distance of that. So that home run off of Louis Etienne was 451 feet. Right. And I remember going to the office the next day and, ta- and telling John Stedman, there was no way that ball could, I-, I can't believe that ball could get out of this ballpark and, you know, on the fly and, and only be 451 feet. So he decided it was a great idea to, to go and, and get the, some bring a, a surveying company. We, we went out to the ballpark. Sandron was there. Right. Showed him the flight of the ball, where it went out. Where it went, where it left the playing field, where it left the stadium, where where it hit, they would do the whole nine yards. <clears throat> and when they came back, their estimate was four hundred and fifty three feet and six inches in that. Wow! So we spent the whole day for two and a half feet. But <laughs> 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 so it goes to show you <clears throat> when we try to estimate distances that maybe we should just trust the people that are making wild guesses. It's it's amazing how memory works. I remembered that it was the nightcap of a Sunday doubleheader against the Indians, but Jim, both teams at the end of that doubleheader, I mean, we make fun of the fact that the Indians weren't good from 54 all the way until Mike Hargrove's teams, you know, in right. the in the in late mid, in the yeah. late 90s or mid 90s, excuse me. You know the Indians after that doubleheader were fifteen and four, and so were the Orioles, and the yeah. Orioles swept them. And right. and Mike T- uh, Louis Tion pitching that game, Craig. You may not know this. I know it now because I just read it. He had pitched three complete games in that season, twenty-seven innings, had not allowed a run, had a zero 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 ERA. First inning, Frank Robinson takes him takes deep, him deep, yeah, and out of the ballpark. That was true, and you, well, you forget it. I, I think, like the Orioles, 
the Orioles started like nine and one or something that year. So, right. and, and 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 so basically going into that doubleheader, they were, were probably by, they were I guess behind Cleveland. Yes, there yeah. were two games behind Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, was would would I be correct? My memory, Mel McGahey, the manager of the Indians back then. You know, I, I, I you know, I'll I, look I don't it up know. while you guys are I, talking. I don't. I real, I honestly don't remember that. Uh, All right. I vaguely yeah. remember him having one very good year. Heisty, you ask a question. Well, now, J- J- Jimmy, when you think about Frank, and and this is something I I did happen to see on the rerun when I got home from the Wizards game last night. Uh, the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report, when you talk about Frank uh, touching all the bases, not just here in Baltimore, but as a player, a manager, a front office guy, a guy who worked for Major League Baseball under the commissioner, uh, and heck, who knows, maybe even came very close to being commissioner. This is a guy that really kind of touched everything in the game and was as respected in the game, but yet as a player – Never quite got the due that he was yep. uh, deserved. Yeah, absolutely, and and it, it is kind of, you know, I was looking at some some things about, you know, he and Hank Aaron went into the Hall of Fame on the same day, and mm-hmm. uh, and 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 I bet I bet the only the only way that Frank came out top on that was was the length of the speech because, <laughs> as I recall, Frank's speech was 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 probably was every bit of forty forty five minutes I think, wow. but. He made a remark that then he said he'd been chasing Aaron ever since he broke in. And he, you know, which is kind of the truth. I mean, you know, he, Aaron always had a little bit more, had more of the spotlight than than Frank did all, pretty much through. And of course, he, he was behind Willie Mays and behind Jackie. And but you know, when you stop and think about the time that Frank broke in and and the area of time, it was really not that far behind. You know, when Robinson broke the, the barrier. And uh, yeah. so, for for a guy to have done what he did, almost in anonymity, to, so to speak, uh, is kind of remarkable. Although I know that's a uh, that's really is a stretch, but he probably is, and justifiably, probably the most underrated superstar in the game's history. Hey, Jim, nineteen sixty three, the manager of the Cleveland Indians was. Bertie Tebbets, who went seventy nine and eighty three in eighty in in sixty three, George Strickland managed for some reason seventy two games the following season, and then Bertie Tebbets replaced George Strickland and managed through the sixty six season. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it was yeah. Bertie Tebbets would have been managing. Well, I do remember Bertie Tebbets as, as as a manager at Cleveland, and, yep. and then much later as a scout. Scout for the Orioles. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, and he also he he scouted for a lot of teams. Yes, he did, including you know he he was for, he was event scouting for team. I forget what year it was, but you know Earl Earl loved to listen, be around and listen to his stories. That Buddy used to get on a bus and ride. <laughs> he was he was scouting the Orioles for some other team, and he was riding the, the bus riding with the, the bus Orioles. To the ballpark. Jimmy, those six years that Frank played for the Orioles from '66 to '71, uh and, and and from the middle of 68 through 71, and then, of course, he was a bench coach for a while. How much of being around Earl Weaver do you think influenced Frank? As you know, he as you said, he wanted to be a manager. I think a lot. I mean, I and I, I, think, uh, I think that was one of the reasons as soon as Earl got the job that 
you know, he went to the Earl and asked Earl to recommend him for the Puerto Rico job because Earl had been, you know, that's kind of what, you mm-hmm. know, got, I mean, Earl was managing the Miley Sedoras, but he also had been managing in Puerto Rico for a yep. couple of years. So, yep. uh, you know, that was uh, uh, a big part of it. I mean, I, and, and I'll tell you something, listen, Frank Manny's, you know, he managed a lot. I mean, at the end of his career, probably, in all honesty, he probably lasted as long as he did with the Montreal slash Washington organization as long as it is because for a long time it was being run by Major League Baseball and and, and they were like Montreal was getting phased out and Washington was getting phased in and the, and the organization was kind of you know, I, I don't know that anybody else could have kept a job in the, in that situation as long as, as Frank did but I know this for a fact from the time he managed the Orioles he didn't just it, it, this wasn't just a uh, a name a name guy running the team. Frank ran, I thought, really, really tough, difficult spring trainings. I, I covered his spring trainings, and it seemed like sometimes the days would never end. And he was he was really kind of a perfectionist, or maybe almost to a fault. And uh, I read a just yesterday. I read a great line about the he had a there was a catcher in Cleveland to play for him, and John Gibbons, who he was going to suspend for. You know, for the year because he just didn't like the way he didn't like the way he went about playing the game. And Rico Cardi summed it up by saying he expects us to play the way he did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a great but line. Not necessarily, not necessarily with the results that he but, did, but, but with, play it as hard. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it was yeah. funny you mentioned about how how maybe not a lot of managers would have survived uh, the two years like they had in Washington, but. The first year in Washington in 05, you got to remember that team was 51 and 30 in the first half of the season, yeah. and then turned around and had the identical record, only in the opposite, opposite direction the way. second half of the season, and they finished 500 for the year. Jim, yeah. Jim, we appreciate your coming on and talking about uh, number 20, who they will uh, honor tonight out at the ballpark. 6:15, uh, it starts. So if you are planning to go to the game, please watch it. And if you're not going to the game, or you're going out to eat, or you're going to the Cystic Fibrosis Gala, you can tape it on Masson. Jim, we really appreciate your coming on and talking about Frank Robinson. Okay, guys, how are you going? All right, thank, thank you. you. All right. And from talking about somebody that we love, Frank Robinson, now we talk about somebody that we also love, and that's the Costa Sim. That's right, and uh, I missed it last night because of... Why? Why well, in the world would you have missed it? I missed it last night because I was in D.C. I had to anchor on 106.7 The Fan, and I also had to cover the Wizards game at the same time, so we were out at the ball, uh, out at the arena doing the live hits and also covering the game. Got to be about uh, 11.30 on the way home, and it's a bad night for me to miss because the Rat Pack is there the first Friday of every month. Oh, wow. You and and Nick Triantopoulos and I have a, we, we sing Born to Run. Right, right. You know, I got you. And Nick told me the night before, he said, I, look, I'm not I'm not singing without my wingman. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> but I said, I don't think I'm going to make it. I'll try, but I don't think Is so. Is it possible you could bring in a recording of that sometime? Oh, sure, certainly. See, well, you know, I represent Kenwood High School. You know what would happen? And no now? one, and no one counts to four better than I do because that's the Kenwood you math and Mike that I Preston. You right. And, Mike Preston. and Paul Minimeyer. And Minimeyer. Yeah. <laughs> um, by the way, we could not run the uh, audio of that because because we don't play the, pay the uh, the fees. Uh-huh. They would shut this uh, internet broadcast down. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 But All anyway. Right. So the Costasins located 4100 North Point Boulevard, 
Monday night is rib night. Tuesday. No. Monday night is crab, crab cake, cake night. night. Tuesday night is rib night. Wednesday night is steak night. Thursday night is lobster night. And Friday night, Pete has a whole bunch of different specials. And there's specials on the, on the menu every night. All right. Great lunches, great dinners, great after-the-game snack. The Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. Also, before we go to the official break, I want to remind moms and dads out there that all season long, Kids ages 9 and under, cheer free at Oriole Park. Visit Orioles.com slash kids free for details and bring your kids to cheer free. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. One-third of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking, then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. All Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com. Maryland, it's the craziest time of year for college basketball. So don't miss a minute of the madness. Fridays through Sundays in March, watch your favorite teams compete for a spot in the championship on 74 feet of HD LED screens in the Sportsbook and Sports Bar at Laurel Park. With food and drink specials during games and thrilling live thoroughbred racing Friday through Sunday, there's no better place to indulge in the madness. Visit Facebook.com slash Laurel Park for details. We'll see you there. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Hey, KZ here with KO from the Fantasy and Reality Football Show. It is almost draft time, so we're in full swing. The reality is that the Ravens are going to pick somebody really, really good at 22. Well, that's that's the hope. I mean, we, we don't really know. I mean, in recent years, they haven't exactly had the best success, but we can always keep our fingers crossed, and the chances are it won't be a wide receiver, but the draft is indeed coming up. So you're telling me what I just said is a fantasy? Hopefully not. Fantasy Reality Football Show every Sunday from 10 a.m. to noon. Give us a listen. Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer here from Glenn Clark Radio. Kyle, you know, I'm regularly asked by folks about how we get so many great guests on our show. Well, I, I work really hard to get some of the biggest names on with us. I know you do, and the world recognizes it, but I want to challenge you to try to get some even bigger guests on the show moving forward. Okay, who do you have in mind? Well, nothing crazy. Like, what about Tim Tebow? Oh. Or, or how about Leonardo DiCaprio or, or Lady Gaga, maybe Barack Obama? Uh, you know what? I'll settle for Wilt Chamberlain. Well, I think he died. What? Yeah, like 20 years ago. So that's a maybe? Maybe Java Chamberlain. Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio and Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. No one wants to talk to Java Chamberlain. 
If trying something new was a bad idea, many of us would still be wearing polyester. This message is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. You may know us for our great burgers and wings, but Glory Days Pros mix it up with the fresh cedar plank salmon, cut in-house and grilled to perfection, or sizzling and juicy steaks, meaty ribs, we have handcrafted salads and sandwiches by our talented chefs. Change tastes good, we promise. Experience the Glory Days Grill menu in all its glory. Glory Days Grill, great food. Good sports. And we are back on the bat around. Craig Heist and Stan the Fan Charles broadcasting live from the Live Casino Hotel Studios. Right here off beautiful I-83. Beautiful. Thank you, Mr. Heist. You Thank go. you very much. Joining us in just a minute will be Mike Shallon of the New Hampshire uh, the New Hampshire Union Leader. That's right. All right. Um, and he's an official scorer with the Red Sox. And, that uh, is correct, sir. That is correct, yeah. sir. <laughs> Last night, I happened to Steve Jeppy sent me this this piece about the son of the owner of Patsy's Restaurant in New York. In New York, yeah. Uh, have you ever seen this video about the night that Billy Martin, the Yankees, had won the World Series, and they came to Patsy's and they wanted to go to their their regular table, mm-hmm. their their big table, and they said, "I'm sorry, that's reserved." And he said, "What are you talking about? We won the World Series." I'm sorry, it's reserved tonight. Mm-hmm. He said, "Why couldn't? Why can't we have that?" He's making. He pulls him aside. Says, "Mr. Sinatra, is there? That table. Yeah, yeah." And so he goes. He goes. Can I meet Mr. Sinatra? Anyway, the 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 line of the story is, he pulls Sinatra aside and he says, "Sinatra goes. What does he want? Mm-hmm. Meaning, like right away, he knew Billy Martin wanted right. something. He'd really like to meet you. So he goes and he whispers to to Billy Martin." He goes, Mr. Sinatra will see you. Martin gets on the table and says, hey, everybody, we're going to meet Frank Sinatra. <laughs> and he, Sinatra shakes hands with every player on the team. Takes you know, 20, 25 minutes anyway. An hour or two later, uh, the Yankees are ready to leave. And he says, we'll take our check. Billy Martin says, he says Mr. Sinatra picked up the check. Mm-hmm. But right below it was a clip the night that Sinatra hosted the Tonight Show. Yeah, and they had on Angie Dickinson, George Rickles. Burns, and Ar- Archie Bunker, oh, okay. Carol O'Connor, yeah, Rickles, and Rickles, was, yeah, and right. Rickles. It was classic. I said, well, you know, you you Carson has Rickles on one night, right. but, but he's un- unannounced, right? Because Sinatra's in the seat, right? And he comes out and he does the whole <laughs> spiel, okay? But then Frank at the end says, "Can I tell you a story real quick?" Carson says, "Yeah," and he goes. He says, I'm in a restaurant in New York several years ago. He says, and Don is in there eating. And uh, he says, he comes over to me. He says, Frank, I'm with a very pretty girl. I'm trying to make out. He says, and, and I tell her I know you. And she doesn't believe me. Can you walk by, you know, on your way out? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> he says, not a problem. He says, I was down the espresso. I got <laughs> up and I walked out. And he said, and I said, hey, Don, how are you? He says, can't you see I'm eating, Frank? <laughs> what? What the heck? <laughs> You know, <laughs> that is so Don and, Rickles. And, and and Frank Sinatra says to Carson, he says, "I fell for the whole thing." <laughs> that is a great, it's a great story. line. Great story. All right. Anyway, um, the Red Sox. Red Sox are struggling mightily. They're two and seven. Not exactly how they expected to get out of the gate this year. Yeah. Um, and we may be informing our guest. Um, Mike Shallon of the New Hampshire Union Leader, we might be informing him that the Red Sox just made two uh, player moves. Uh, Mike, are you aware? 
I know they brought up a pitcher. They brought up Marcus Walden, and they brought up infielder uh, Chu Win Lin, and they oh. they've DL'd Brock Holt and Brian Johnson. Okay, which is well, not a DL anymore; it's an injury. Injury, in, in, injury. the IL. IL, yeah. Got to be the IL, um, and I, I guess the reason for doing that was that they it, they they were disrespecting the word disabled. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. They're not so, giving it enough just, space. These are the things we worry about as we kiss the back, as we kiss the back of people's heads. I guess. That's right, I guess. <laughs> How are you? I, I'm great. I'm great. Yeah. I, I um, you well, know, this has been a, this is a week of of uh, overload when it comes to sports because everything's going on at the same time, yeah. uh, including the death of a football league. But um, I um, no, it's uh, the early part of the baseball season is kind of bizarre world. You got the Red Sox two and seven. The Cubs are one and six. The Yankees are three and four, and the Astros are three and five. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and when you when got you, the Mariners, the Mariners are like seven and two. Tampa's like six and two. I mean, you know, what's up is the Orioles are respectable. <laughs> yeah, the Orioles are respectable, but the one constant is that Chris Davis can't touch the ball. Yeah, so. I know, and it's just it's mind boggling. Let me ask you this: with the Red Sox, obviously. I know weather's an issue the early part of the year up in Boston in terms of cold and things of that nature, but to start the season on the West Coast and uh, to have the rough road trip that they've had to this point, uh, you know, that's the last thing I think anybody expected up there. Well, it's a, the, 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 the most ridiculous part of the road trip is that it's 11 games in 11 days. That is crazy. Yeah. Uh, which is just absurd, um, but the... Going into it, you got to look at it two ways. You look at it like, okay, we're going to take this team on the road and bond and do all that good stuff and have dinner at Dustin Pedroia's house and have Mookie Betts take everybody out to dinner in Seattle. And and you get rid of those two spots later on in the schedule, right. which is a good thing. Um, the, the negative is that um, you're on the road for that long. And, and you, know, you got to realize now they're two and seven. And none of those three teams was projected to win the World Series. Correct. You know, it, uh, Oakland, obviously, is always a pain, and they, they somehow figure out a way to do it all the time. But going into the season, you, you know, Seattle uh, Seattle has had two games this week where an infielder has made three errors in the same inning. Mm. And I believe they have 18 or 19 errors on the season so far, and they're 7-2. Um so it's it, crazy stuff goes on this time of year. We know that. I think what happened, what's happened with the Red Sox, perhaps, and, and you can't really uh, prove this, uh, you know, with any kind of certainty. But they baby their starting pitchers in Florida, and it's it's their feeling that it's a uh, you know the old marathon, not a sprint thing, and 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 their guys just don't look ready. Sale barely touches ninety on the gun. He's thrown a lot of. He's become. A, $135 million crafty left-hander all of a sudden. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's been difficult. It really has. And they wound up last night's game with Eduardo Nunez pitcher. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Hey, a question about that. After what Dave Dombrowski went through with David Price, you know, how much he suffered that contract, despite the fact that Price – stepped up finally in a big moment last year in the World Series. Why were, Why did the club feel it had to to re-sign Sale and extend him at the time they did? 
if there's this much sort of uncertainty about him? Uh, it's you know something that I I presented uh, in, a, in a column before they were even seriously talking about it. Um, I don't know. I, I thought it was odd. Um, he's a thirty year old thirty year old pitcher with a funky delivery and a skinny body, yep. and has always faded in the second half of the season. Uh, I don't. I didn't get it at the time, and um, obviously the numbers are, are kind of bailing that out. But I, I think obviously it's too soon. The jury's still out on it. But um, I found it strange. I really, did, especially when you went. You know, obviously it didn't affect this year's uh, luxury tax. But you know, you went out of your way to not sign a closer. Right. Um, I thought it was kind of uh, kind of strange, to be honest. And and the Bogarts thing made sense. Uh, obviously, you didn't want to lose him, um, and they still have the JD opt out and and rookie situation to handle. Uh, I think they can handle both uh, financially. I don't think they would. I don't think they would bring Porcello back, but you never know. Um, but you know the haves, the haves in baseball can 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 cover up their mistakes. Yeah, you know, um, and and that's um, that's one of the things about the inequities of the sport right now that if you if you do make a blunder, then um, you can go out and fix it. You know, the Yankees lost to all those infielders. They just added Pennington uh, last night. And, you know, Major League infielders, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the... what the. I was very surprised when the sale thing happened. Um, and so far, he hasn't been very good. So, no question about it. So there's no question he's been a little shaky. A little shaky. I mean, sh- very shaky in Seattle... The second start, at least he got the job done. He didn't get the win, but he got the job done to an extent. But Porcello was absolutely awful the other night um, in Arizona, and Eduardo now has been through the rotation twice and has been awful in both of his starts. Uh, What's wrong with them? I don't know. I don't know. Well, Porcello might be as simple as uh, being an odd number a year. Right. He was lousy in 15, great in 16, lousy in 17, good in 18. And now it's 19. So, um, <laughs> very you know, scientific. Very scientific. Very scientific, you know. he. Um, the analytics he, are really showing that. I think he was 9 and 15 his first year here. Then he won the Cy Young Award. Then he was under 517 and, went, and then last year was 17 and 7. So, um, I, you know, I, I can't figure, but again, does it go back to the fact that they underwork their starters in Florida, thinking about August and September instead of thinking right. about March and April? I don't know. We'll see what happens. How much do you subscribe to the fact that you can win or lose a, <coughs> win or lose a pennant in April mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, winning one or losing one in September and August, that kind of thing? I know, what, I know, I know what you're trying to say. Spit it out. I know yeah, well, allergies. <laughs> what can I tell you? No, I think there's a lot to that. You know, getting off to a 17 2 start last year, they faced no adversity. And um, now they're basically, if you look at it, they're basically facing adversity for the first time in, in uh, Alex Cora's uh, managerial career. So it's uh, certainly you can dig a hole that's, that's too deep. I mean, this is a very good baseball team. We know that. Um, but very good baseball teams sometimes don't play very well. And, and I, when you, you know, the little things like the other night, you know, they, 
They had three guys thrown out of the on the bases by the uh, center fielder for Oakland, Mariano. Oh. And <laughs> the one at third base on Mookie Betts, where's he going? Yeah. You know? And and I love Dennis Eckersley. Uh, not a mention, <clears throat> barely a mention of why is he even trying to go? The run meant nothing. I think it was 7-3 to three at the time. And he's going first to third in the ninth inning. Right, and I don't know. I don't know if he thought he'd surprise somebody, but he certainly didn't surprise this Mariano kid who threw him out uh, with an off balance throw. Yeah, I saw that. Where's he going? Yeah, you know. I mean, so what if you're safe? <laughs> I mean, but that's the kind of that's the kind of little things that they're doing. And you got people up here now saying that uh, the pitchers, some of the pitchers, miss Sandy Leone. I think that's too simple. Um, you know, I I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but for them, uh, I saw a stat last night there. They have a minus twenty six run differential, which is the second worst of any uh, any defending world champion after after nine games of the following wow. season. Mike, I, I know Stan might have had you on in one of the weekends that I wasn't here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's when he enjoys coming. Well, on I, the show. I understand yeah. that. Yeah. But Nick Cafardo uh, passed away early in spring training, mm-hmm. and here's a guy that we talk to all the time when he comes to Baltimore just as outgoing as can be, and you can talk baseball or anything with him. And, you know, it's been a tough, tough start to the year as far as this is concerned. Well, you know, um, I was reminded of again last night um, when a a friend of mine from New York who hadn't heard about it, he's out of the business and hadn't heard about it until yesterday. Um, And I'm just stunned by it still to this day, you know, having – Having gone to the wake, I just kept expecting Nicky to get up, you know. And, yeah. and uh, um, you know, he was the kind of guy that everybody liked. Um, did a great job at what he did, you know, what he was, what he did. Went from baseball to football, uh, you know, back to baseball, and um, never changed. You know, I used to tease him all the time, and uh, you know, you, you remember the positive things, and then you realize how fragile everything is, and then. That Marty Noble in New York passes yeah, away yeah. last week of spring training. So it's, um, you know, it, we're all we're all just here temporarily, you know, and and um, and that's that's the thing. I think it's I think it's really going to sink in on Tuesday at opening day when uh, yeah. when Nicky's not going to be there, you know. And I, I know the Red Sox will pay tribute to Mets in there. Uh, Frank Robinson, um, Nell Stottlemyre, moment of silence at their opener. Saluted mm-hmm. Marty Melbourne. I'm sure the Red Sox will do the same thing with Nick on Tuesday. We're talking with Mike Shallon, Mike uh, columnist for the New Hampshire Union Leader. He also is an official scorer at Fenway Park. Um, I was doing some research on Frank Robinson the other night, and I, I remembered as well as I could that Frank Robinson hit a home run in his debut as a Baltimore Oriole at on opening day 1966 in Fenway Park, what do you think the attendance was on opening day in 1967, Mike, at Fenway I Park? I guess, I guess 12,000. You got it. What, yeah. what was that about? I know the Red Sox had been horrible for a long yeah. while, but was there that little interest in Major League Baseball, well, or was that day like 24 degrees or something? Stan, that was a year before my bar mitzvah, but... Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know I didn't I, uh, say you covered it, but I figured I did you... cover it. I did cover it for the uh, for, for the weekly reader. Um, <laughs> but uh, there was the, 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 the Red Sox were dead in this town. Yeah, so Yaz Yaz was a positive thing. 
no question about it. And Canigliaro come along, uh, old rundown ballpark, yep. which was on its last legs in 1966, and it's still standing today. Right, didn't have the uh, charm it has today. You're, yeah, no, no. Now it's got much more charm and, and good right. food, and, right. and and also you don't you don't pee into a trough. You have actual <laughs> urinals now. Um, but you know, I, I you know, listen. '67 obviously changed everything around. Yep. And and um, but uh, yeah, I mean, what what was that? there was like ten thousand, less than ten thousand for Ted's last game, wasn't there? Yeah. I think. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you got about hundred thousand people at Ted's say they're there. there. Yeah. yeah. But boy, what a year! Many of them, many of them are dead. But boy, you you sure got it turned around the following year. <laughs> Well, they, they, they did, but, you know, I, I keep people around here all the time because uh, this is the 50th anniversary of what the Mets did to the Orioles and, and, the, and the baseball world, and I, I tease people around here saying, possible dream, try finishing the thing off, you know? Six, <laughs> 69, I mean, 69 was the worst year of my life. Ten years old, and... Your Bullets fan. Your, your, uh, the, ball, fan. the Baltimore Bullets lose to the Knicks. In, in, in the Eastern Conference Finals, yep. the Jets beat the Colts in the Super Bowl, and to top it all off in October that year. <laughs> yep. You well, know. you know, the thing about it is that what it did was, to many people, it proved that there was a God. So, <laughs> uh, you know, God, God took care of New York that year, and uh, the Jets haven't won since. If you're, if that makes you happier. <laughs> hey, Mike. Um, um, Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. I started to interrupt. No, it's all right. It's all right. Um, you, you mentioned a little bit earlier that the, the Red Sox can afford to do the J.D. Martinez thing and the Betts thing. What would a J.D. Martinez extension have to be to satisfy? Would it, would it be like three years, 90, two years at uh, 45? What, what, what would it look like? I mean, two years at 50? Um, well... There's three years in there now. Right. So I would think it would have to get extended another year uh, with maybe kind of uh, option built in of some sort. But to me, he's the most dangerous hitter in baseball right now. Mm-hmm. And and that should be, you know, but then again, you walk in that tightrope with the way free agency is now. You know, I don't, I don't know, I, you know, look how long it took him to get a job last year when right. Boris was telling us that he was a $200 million player and he only got $100 million. Only got 100 it sounds weird, but, um, you know, I would think that he's 23.75 is where he's at now for next year. Right. I think that has to be bumped up almost $10 million, you got to think. Yeah. And so I think three years, 90 maybe, or four years, 100, 120, something like that. And and uh, now now that we've got that sort of decided, what is bets? Is bets up in the trout troutosphere? Sure, sure he is. Yeah, and and you know he's at twenty now. Right. He's got one more year of arbitration, which means he's thirty next year. Right. And then going into free agency, you've got to think that you know it starts around anyway. Yeah, it starts at close to forty. Now. Now, if he if he keeps running the bases like he did the other night, maybe you don't want him around. Right. <laughs> uh, how's how's uh, Cora handled uh, this first week? Eight games. Oh, he hasn't seen him. I mean, well, no, yeah, but you but you do see clips of it on. Yeah, you know. you know, he's put he's put he's pulled the Belichick, uh, the the not the nasty Belichick, but the Belichick that says it's on the coaches. 
it's on us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Belichick any time Belichick loses a game, it's the players and and it's the coaching staff. Um, you know, uh, Cora is. It's funny with these with these guys that are quote player managers. Uh, they're terrific when things are going well, and then all of a sudden, when the team starts to lose, well, the manager's not tough enough. You know, so it's one of those double-edged sword kind of things. And um, uh, this is this is stunning to me how how they can you know they go into Arizona. At one point, that game was fifteen to one. One at a fourteen to one last night. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's um, it's tough. You know, and, and when you've got arguably the best rotation in baseball and you don't get a quality start in your first nine games, um, that's difficult. That's different. I'm, I'm just, I'm just adding some numbers, uh, adding some numbers up here, uh, in, you know, from my column for tomorrow, they, they're starting pitchers have given up 10, 16 home runs in nine games. And that's just, you know, that's crazy. It's just, it's craziness. And the, the ERAs are, you know, obviously it's, it's early in the year, but Rodriguez is 12.38, Porcello is 13.50, Sale is 8, Price is 6, you know, and the Valdez is 8.10. There's your five yeah. starters. Wow. Ladies, those, those and, are ladies some, and gentlemen. Yes. Those are some ugly numbers yes, right they, there. They really are. Maybe they, maybe they should have signed Dan Straley. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, the, the start that the team has gotten off on, what is the latest scenario that brings Dustin Pedroia back to the team and might a little bit, another week or two of bumpiness, create a real uh, challenge for Joey Cora uh, or Alex okay. Cora uh, on how to play and proceed with Dustin Pedroia? They might not have quite the wiggle room that you would have thought they would when Pedroia was due back. Well, if Dustin Pedroia is the problem, or the lack of Dustin Pedroia is a the problem, then there's a bigger problem than that. Um, you know, uh, Holt, Holt is hurt. He was he was off to a terrible start, one for one for sixteen. Uh, I think Pedroia played nine innings in, the, in an A ball game last night. At okay. least he was supposed to for uh, for Greensboro. But let's be honest, Dustin Pedroia is not what he was three or four years ago. Right. Uh, you know, he's still. A spark plug, and he can lead the team, and maybe that maybe him being away from the team is not you know because they left him when they when they went from Arizona to um, to Seattle. Uh, but if you're hanging your hat on that with you know two of the top four MVP voting guys, in the I wasn't last year, I wasn't hanging my hat on him being the impetus. I was wondering if it's going to allow Cora. I, I guess I was really asking. Might it force an issue with him that they just don't have room no. for him right now? No, they, no, that won't happen. Okay, that won't happen. There's too much. There's too much riding on it. Uh, they saw what happened when he came back for three games last year, which I think, if I'm, if I remember the rules, right, uh, invalidates their insurance for the year. Okay, if, if a guy plays, I think you don't get the insurance money on the rest of the season. So, okay. You know, there's there's a lot of money involved. He signed through uh, 21. Um, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's certainly better than than Lynn, who they just brought up. Uh, but again, you know, you, I don't see them. I don't see them rushing it. And one of the things you have to look at is that at two and seven, they're only two games behind the Yankees. Right. And that's and, and those are the two teams. People, I, I kind of think the Orioles are going to fade a little bit. 
Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll grant but, you that, but Tampa might yeah. not. But Tampa, Tampa might not. Tampa might not. The Tampa Bay Glassnow pitched great last night, uh, yesterday in San Francisco. Um, and they're another team. The Tampa and Oakland people thought that, you know, after the surprise years they had last year, that they would just go away. And what happens sometimes is that you get the you get winning inside of you. And all of a sudden, you know, you can lose a couple of pieces and not not be that big a deal. You know, I thought, oh, they lost they lost Lowry and they lost this guy and that guy. But, yeah, you know, with Melvin with Melvin there and Cash in Tampa Bay, they seem to be able to plug in anybody and get results. Guys you never even heard of, but uh, and and Oakland has the knows it has the ability to play in big games. Tampa knows it's got 19 games against the Red Sox and plays them tough anyway. In that, in that silly ballpark, especially so. Um, no, I, I don't see I don't see any acceleration of Pedroia unless they, you know, I don't see him coming back unless they're convinced that he should be back. Okay. Uh, Mike, before we let you go, uh, we're nine days away from the Boston Marathon, and ironically, the Orioles are back in town. Uh, it's been several years since the, the bombing on Marathon Day. Uh, how does the city both look forward to it and prepare for that? Well, it was it was the biggest event of the year before that happened. Right. Um, and now... Um, I also can proudly say that I've gone through 35 years in this town and never had to cover it, which I'm very happy about. Right. But um, no, it's it's it obviously became even more so when um, when you know when the, the tragedy struck. And I guess a great side story now is that the the guy who runs the thing had open heart surgery mm-hmm. in the, during the, the winter, and he's going to run. He's going to run. run with paramedics next to him to make sure he's okay and stuff, but, no, listen, the, 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 the town shuts down, basically, the, the game is at 11 o'clock in the morning, Right. Um, I'll be there by 9, and I somehow always wind up scoring that game, and getting home is a nightmare, <laughs> but, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's like no other day in any city in the country, if you think about it, I mean, New York has theirs, I keep covering that one, yeah. um, which goes through Manhattan and stuff, but it's just, it's 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 right up there with the you know the baked beans and Paul Revere and all that stuff. It's taking its place in Boston history, and it's never you know it's obviously never gonna it was never gonna go away. And then when you have something like that happens, it becomes that much more important. All right, hey Mike, uh, I said before we let you go, but let me just ask you one more thing, uh, Frank. Rob- Anything, Frank. Yeah, you Rob- know that because it doesn't affect my paycheck. Frank so Rob- Frank Robinson passed away in early February. Um, yep. The season started. They're having a celebration of life tonight for Frank at Oriole Park Camden Yards. Uh, mm-hmm. Brooks, Boog, and Palmer are among the speakers. His wife, Barbara, daughter, Nichelle, will be there. Um, your last recollections of uh, Frank Robinson? Well, you know, I, I remember hearing at a very young age that the man played the game harder than anybody who ever played the game. Uh, I remember hearing stories about him getting to first base and picking up two handfuls of dirt and throwing him in the eyes of the second baseman, breaking up double plays back when back when men when men were men in the game, if you will. Um, and I remember him being intimidating, uh, but I also remember, well, I think I told you this before, but, but running into him like before, you know, World Series games and stuff and, and in fact, I have a picture somewhere. We're both in the picture just as an interview kind of thing. 
and just the sincerity in his eyes, the the, the honesty of the man. Obviously, um, Jackie Robinson went through what he went through to get to the major leagues, but the guys that came soon after really didn't have it that much better when you think about it. And he was just, plus he was built like no other baseball player ever built. I mean, he just, he looked like a statue. And when he got running, he didn't, you know, he he was not a statue. And he was a great right fielder, probably a little bit underappreciated. Uh, When people talk about the greatest players of the time, and it was a, a glory era, but he was every bit the player that Roberto Clemente and Hank Aaron was in, yeah. my, in my eye, and um, just a just a tremendous loss. In fact, I I still have his business card that he gave me on the field one night, and I don't think I'll ever get rid of it. It's just an honor for me to have his business card working for Major League Baseball. Mike Shallon, always a pleasure to catch up with you. We'll talk to you down the road a little bit. Uh, thank you very Anytime. much. All right. There he is, Mike Shallon of the uh, New Hampshire Union leader and also official scorer at Fenway Park. Craig, um, before we get out of here, we got a commercial break, and we lead it off with uh, one of our favorite things, the Costas Inn. That's right, 4100 North Point Boulevard, and uh, great specials on the menu all week long. And uh, Monday night, crab cake night. Tuesday is rib night. Wednesday is steak night. Thursday, lobster night, but there are at least four to five specials on the menu every night. Great entertainment. Last night, the Rat Pack in there with Rick Oliger. Uh, They have jazz on Wednesday night. Just uh, take the family. They'll treat you like they are family. And uh, you can go over to the 4100 North Point Boulevard. Nick and Pete will take care of you. It's the Costas Inn. Greats for crabs, crab soup, crab cakes, anything crab-related. That's the place the Costas Inn 410-475-1977 is the number for the Costas Inn. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Section 336 here with all your Baltimore sports talk. The Raven season is now done, but the Orioles season is just ahead. We have a new GM. We have a new manager. We have a few new baseball players out there. Reason for optimism. I don't know if you can name any of those new players, and I think we won 40-some games last year. Yeah, but I remember a terrible year in 1988 where we were able to turn it around the very next year in 1989. Why not 2019? Why yeah, not? why not? Why not check out Section 336 at Section336.com, Facebook, or on Twitter and iTunes as well. Just search for Section 336. 
The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Stan the Fan Charles sits down with new Orioles general manager Mike Elias to discuss the plan for guiding the franchise back to prominence. Plus, Hopkins legend Paul Rabel details his vision for how the PLL can be a game-changer for pro lacrosse. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The Glory Days Grill-to-Go menu is based on a simple reality. You can't spend your whole life at Glory Days Grill. Your boss wouldn't like it, and neither would your kids or your dog. So come to Glory Days and get your food to go. On your way to soccer practice, or to the office, or to, well, wherever. We know the hardest part of visiting Glory Days Grill is leaving. But at least you take a little piece of us wherever you go. Glory Days Grill. Great food. Good sports. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square is very, very popular, as you've undoubtedly noticed if you've been there recently. Want to skip the lines completely? Download the Chick-fil-A app, and your food will be ready when you get there, but not a minute sooner. Your hot, fresh waffle fries, fresh, never-frozen chicken, and ice-cold drinks will be delivered to you when you get there. They'll bring it out to your car, or you can come in and get it without standing in line. Plus, ordering through the Chick-fil-A app earns you reward points that will add up to free stuff. And the app remembers what you like. So if you like extra pickles, then the app remembers. If you prefer less ice in your drink, the app remembers. Anytime you customize your order, the Chick-fil-A app will file it away and remember for your next visit. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. If you need help downloading the app, ask the Nottingham Square store owner, Steve. Steve can do anything. Chick-fil-A, get the app, skip the lines. And welcome back to the Bat Around. Craig Heist and the fan Charles. And we are broadcasting live from the Live Casino Hotel Studios right that's, here off beautiful I-83. That's uh, absolutely correct. One question. Yes, sir. What time is the Duke game today? <laughs> very good. Touche. <laughs> Thank you Touché. very much. Touche. Touche. Just passed up. This is Craig Heist's last, last show, show for the <laughs> second time. Uh, who you like in these two games? Virginia's you playing know, Auburn, right? Auburn, Auburn, and Texas Tech have never been to this point before, right? Virginia and uh, Michigan State, I think, play for the title on Monday night. But the the, the Virginia Auburn game mm. is going to be so good from a standpoint of they are two totally different teams. One likes to get up and down the floor, mm-hmm. shoot the three. Defense, they both play good defense, but. Virginia will like to have that game in the 50s, maybe in the low 60s, to have the optimal chance to win the game. Right? Uh, who knows with Michigan State? I mean, Michigan State probably they're a beast, especially on the backboards. So that's something that Texas Tech has to to put up with. I'm rooting for Virginia after what they went through last year. Yeah, well, I think, I they've, think handled they've handled it, handled it so well. Yeah, uh, and I'll tell you, you know who else is rooting for them is Ryan Odom. He yeah. is rooting. He's literally rooting for them at this point in time. Thinks it's uh, thinks what happened to them in that game might be one of the motivations that takes them to the Could next be. level. Could very well be. All right. We'll see you next week. I hope. Uh, I have to look at the schedule, but I think so. Yeah. All right. So we're on that. We're on that treatment now. The, the schedule. You know. The yeah. Schedule. He, he'll pencil great. you in. It's great you know. to see you, Brittany. Yeah. Once you get again. To you see have you your too. people call my people, and we'll see if we can do lunch. And the last thing I want to do is to hear anything about schedule because someone in this room missed four straight weeks. It was only three. Well, three. Thank you. All right. It seemed like four, it though. I was like just pulling a you, Craig. All right. That's 
Typical you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm the only one that's here. I miss like two weeks a year. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, that does yeah, wrap us up. To, who has to fill in for it? Fantasy and reality football show tomorrow, 10 to 12, and Monday through Friday, the Glenn Clark Radio Show, all live from the Live Casino Hotel Studios. Have a great weekend, everybody.